Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad you made it here today. Um, how many of you know that God has a sense of humor? Irony. My wife and I, we moved uh, this last month, and uh, in, in the process of the move, we hired a moving company. And uh, before we knew the gender of, of our twins, uh, this company came and they helped us move, and it was called All My Sons. So we should have, we should have seen the sign, right? Um, but God's good. Again, thank you for your prayers, and, and thank you for letting us share this moment with you. We, uh, we're not just like, um, I don't know how to say this, we're family. And uh, I want to thank you for, again, all your prayers and sharing uh, with us in this, this great time of celebration. And, and we're, if, if you're in a season maybe of difficulty, we're going to pray that God is going to uh, strengthen your heart, encourage you, fill you with his presence and his grace. And uh, I, I just believe God's called us to rejoice together. Uh, and at times God's called us to, to suffer together uh, because we are a family and I love you guys. And so, um, again, thank you for all the, the well-wishing. Is that the word that I'm looking for? Thank you for all the kind words. And um, I'm excited for this next season for us as a church. Uh, before I get into the message, uh, I want to um, uh, honor Jordan. Younger, can you stand? Uh, this is his last Sunday with us. He, uh, so proud of this. I can call him this is young man. Uh, I love his heart. I love his passion. Man, he's, he's just, he's so faithful. And uh, God's entrusting Jordan with a lot more um, favor. And he's going to be moving down to California with Mark and Rochelle and Ocean Church. And he's going to serve there. And we're excited for what God's going to do through you. And so, can you, church, can you just stretch forth your, your hands? Uh, we're going to just make this really awkward for Jordan. I'm just going to pray God's grace uh, over him. Lord, we just thank you for the call of God. Everyone say call. We just thank you for the call of Jesus on this um, uh, young man's life. Lord, we thank you for his heart. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in him. And uh, we just say yes to this. We say yes to this move. And uh, Lord, I thank you that you're going to continue to open doors. I thank you for the favor of God on his life. Lord, I thank you for all, you would take care of all the little details um, from moving and trying to figure out his place and all that kind of stuff. Lord, we just, we thank you, Father, for continued open doors in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you. You've, you've put a dream in his heart. It's not his dream. It's your dream. And Lord, we thank you that the dreams of God are yes and amen. So we bless him in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Uh, today, I'm just going to get into it. We're going to be talking about uh, the church. What is the church? I'm not going to be talking about uh, what the church does this morning. I, I want to talk about what the church is. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my very best to talk about the story of the church. Uh, how many believe in the church? Some of you are thinking, oh boy, like I'm not sure I believe in the church. And there's a problem when we talk about uh, the church and defining the church and it's, it, it fleshing out its story. We, we got to talk about um, the, the problem. Many people, most people, maybe not most, but many people don't know or understand the story of the church, what it is, and are left with trying to define it based on their experiences of the church. How many of you had good experiences? Okay, many of us. <laughs> oh God, please, all of you, that was not a trick question. Raise your hand, please. Oh God, Lord have mercy. Um, uh, thank you for your honesty, though, right? 
but how many of you have had bad experiences, right? We all have had bad experiences uh, with uh, the church. What we can't do uh, is we can't start from this, I'll, I'll call it a bottom-up approach, where we start from our experiences and we move into theological speculation, uh, which leads us inevitably to um, our shaping of how we think the church is, which always leads to a low view of the church. Um, I I think this approach uh, leaves something to be desired. Um, The older I get, I don't really care much about my opinion. Can I get an amen to that? Or my musings, I, I, I realize uh, this is epistemic humility. I just realize I see in part. I don't see it all. Some of you had no idea what that meant. Just let's just move on, all right? Um, but I do think there's, there's always this intersection of, of our opinion and God's opinion. And I don't think God always shares our opinion. I'll talk more about that. There's a pastor um, in, in a, a church in New York. He talks about baptism. He talks about the church. And uh, if you don't know this, baptism candidates uh, in, in the early part of the church would repeat, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th century, would repeat the Apostles' Creed at their baptism. Uh, what's, what's so shocking is they, the, the, the verb, I believe, was emphasized. And they would say something like, I believe in um, Jesus Christ. God the Almighty and the Holy Spirit, and they would always end with, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. The Holy Catholic Church simply means just the global church or universalizes the church. Um, I believe in the church, this local church pastor, he quipped. I believe in the church. Why um, were were they called to confess that they believe in the church? Well, uh, this is just my thoughts. I think it takes a lot of faith to believe in the church. I'm going to talk about that here pretty quick. What's funny is when we, when, when we talk about church, to me, church life is kind of like um, my home. And uh, as you know, we have three kids. And if, if we were in a season where it felt like we had to clean every two hours. And we would clean. What, I'm, what am I saying? My wife would clean, right? I'd watch football. Um, but we, we would clean, and uh, it, just, it was crazy. It just felt like after, um, after we got done cleaning, within minutes, our house turned into a zoo, right? It smelled like a zoo, and there's dirt everywhere and clothes everywhere. And again, it's because we have kids. Um, uh, home life is, domestic life is, and I hope I can get a witness, it can be messy. You can clean, right, and you can clean, and you can clean, and then there's always messes and more messes and more messes, and uh, it gets exhausting, and uh, sometimes you raise your voice and you want to go upstairs and and cry yourself to sleep. Anyways, um, uh, church is kind of like that. Church can be messy, and we say this a lot. This is kind of a church platitude, uh, but without mess, there's no ministry, I realized I had to accept a more positive view of the mess in my home. Uh, I used to think of it negatively, like, why are my kids so messy, right? My wife used to think, why is my husband so messy? Uh, But we had to take a positive, not a negative view about church. And the positive view is at least the mess is a sign that people are still alive. Right, so if there's a mess, there's still, I don't know, I'm just making, I'm not making this this up, but I think there's still hope. Right when they're messes, uh, many people just assume that the church exists in this constant state of perfection. Come on, everyone say, "Homie, don't play that." 
where the church never exists in a constant state of perfection. This is, a, this is like a mistake of an over-realized eschatology. Uh, the church is not a finished work, nor is it a piece of work. It's simply God working through people and putting their lives together and making all things right and working through them to reflect his love and his goodness and his glory. Can I get an amen to that? So my, we're, not, we're not perfect. The, the problem is when we um, work from a bottom-up approach uh, and we speculate about what the church is, it always leads us to um, a low view or taking the low view of a church. Again, as I mentioned before, it takes a lot of faith to believe in the church. The main reason people in the Western world do not accept Christianity is not because they can't believe in God. Check this out. It's because they can't believe in the church. I found this to be true a lot with some of my friends. People find it harder. Check, check this. People find it harder to believe what God says the church is than what God has revealed about himself in Scripture. G.K. Chesterton, he said this a couple, uh, 100 years ago, not a couple, but 100 years ago, by far the most powerful argument against the truth of Christianity are Christians. Movements are, are foot over the last probably 100 years or so, for some time, which have mantracized, I just made up that word, can I get a hello? And mantracized, or their mantra, or the slogan is, I believe in Jesus. You've probably seen some of these bumper stickers, but not the church. Come on. Or you've probably heard in some like urban centers where they say, man, I'm, I'm spiritual, but not religious. I think all of that is connected to people. It, the issue isn't their um, belief in God is somehow untenable. I think it's their belief in the church has been fragilized. I'm making up words like no one's business today. Man, this is a good message, right? Their faith in the church is broken because of their experiences. And I'm going to say this again. The reason most people don't believe in God is because they have been let down. This is really simple. Been let down by the church. Um, it's harder to believe in the words of one scholar. It's harder to believe what the church can be than who God is. It's harder to believe that the church can change the world than believe that God is spirit and that God is at work in our lives. Believing in the church, however, believing in the church uh, and believing in Jesus are inextricably linked. You can't, they're not mutually exclusive things. You can't believe in Jesus and not believe in the church. Again, let me say it again. They're not mutually exclusive things. If you believe in Jesus, you have to believe in the church. Now, let me just say this really quick. The Bible doesn't pull any punches. You look at the New Testament, it's very clear that uh, a lot of saints have messed up lives. Anyone perfect in here today? Okay. We, we, we all have our messes, right? We, we all have our our issues, and there's, not, there's no one in here uh, that has experienced the, this perfect state of, of perfection. We get that. The church does not pull any punches. Um, or excuse me, the scripture doesn't pull any uh, punches about the church, but the Bible is very clear that it has a high view of the church. So what is the church? What is its story, in other words? I think understanding the story of the church kind of helps us negotiate the difficulties and complexities of church life and the life that we live in America, et cetera. Uh, it's important that we understand the story and what the church is. For example, what the church is is as important as what the church does. Because you can't, you can't know what you're supposed to do if you don't know what the church 
is. Alastair McIntyre, he's a famous philosopher, um, kind of uh, made some excursions into theology. He observed that it's only possible to answer the question, what am I to do, if I can answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself a part of. The, the basic point is story, and I want a good amen on this, story is what makes the world um, intelligible, right? It makes it, um, you have an explanatory framework when you have a story. Everyone has a story of the world. And if, for example, uh, McIntyre illustrates, it's a hypothetical situation. If someone on the bus suddenly mutters the name of the common wild duck is histrionicus, 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 initially um, his behavior would come across as bizarre until we could contextualize or make sense of what he's saying within a larger story. For example, uh, the story might be he is a spy and he has mistaken me uh, for a fellow spy, which I totally get that, right? I work out. Jack City Fitness has changed my life, right? I look like a spy. Bad joke, all right? Um, He's a spy trying to use code to identify contact. It could be that he has mistaken me for a trivia partner, long night, blurry eyes, whatever, and he's replying to a joke from the night before, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What we can only understand, or we can only understand, excuse me, what is going on with this man on the bus and his behavior is if when we is if we can figure out the larger story. The story is an explanation for the behavior. So story is important. And this is where we come to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Paul gives us a story. In fact, he, he maps out this cosmic landscape. Uh, he he kind of tells us that Jesus is at the center of uh, the cosmos, the universe. Uh, Ephesians covers the whole gamut of spiritual warfare and this theme of power and unity. And our life is being summed up in Jesus. He uses extravagant language in the first 11 verses about how we are blessed and how we have grace. And it's all found in being in King Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? It's in faith and in baptism and in, in uh, repentance that our lives lives are summed up in King Jesus. One New Testament scholar, I say this a lot, says that if you are in Christ, what is true of Jesus is also true of us. Uh, We're not God. Can I get an amen to that? What he's simply saying is that the life that Jesus lives, we can share in it. So we come uh, to verse 15 after Paul is kind of giving us an introduction um, getting us ready for the story of, of, the Christ, of Christianity. He says in verse 15, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom, and of revelation in the knowledge of him. In fact, God has to give you wisdom. God has to give you insight about who you are and what the church is. So it implies that, man, we we do see in part. And so he continues in verse, I think it's verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope. Can 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 everyone say hope right now? 
What is the hope to which he has called you? Everyone has hope here today. If you are in Christ, and even though you might be that death's knocking at your door or whatever, suffering's knocking at your door, you're going through a difficult circumstance, if you're in Christ, you still have hope. God's not done with you. God has a plan for you, and this is essentially what Paul is saying, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And he continues in verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Could you say power? Power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ, Christ is another way of referring to King Jesus, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Could you you just um, say amen to that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that again because I, I, every time I read this or say this, it's like people are like, oh, what? what are we talking about? This is the most powerful story ever, that he worked in Christ. Paul's telling us about the story uh, first of Jesus, which leads to the story of the church, when he raised him from the dead. I'm going to say it one more time. I'm going to wait for five seconds. One, two, three, four, five. Okay. And he raised him from the dead. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then he continues, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let me tell you something really quick about the story of America. Starts started a couple hundred years ago. We had the Declaration of Independence. If you don't know this, we're not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. And all the history majors, two of them say amen, right? Uh, which leads to, we talked a little bit about this last week, uh, Jefferson and his kind of his Epicurean uh, worldview, right? That kind of helped shape some of how we think about politics, et cetera, uh, which led into um, a rise, and this is an oversimplification of 200 years. There's so much more. I'm going to focus maybe on some of the negative side of the shadow side of the American story, which kind of led to manifest destiny and American exceptionalism, et cetera. And then it kind of worked with uh, kind of this French mantra, uh, which was a revolutionary term, Vox Populi, Vox Dei, the voice of the people is the voice of God, which led to uh, kind of the middle part of the 19th century and industrialization uh, to the self-sufficiency archetype. In other words, Americans are shaped now in our self-understanding by self-sufficiency. We live by self-sufficiency, right? Um, We have this whole rags to riches story. And uh, it's just, it's our default mechanism. It's what we've grown up in. It's our cultural environment. We're shaped by if, okay, if I can get my life together, if I'm really in charge of my life, I should make things happen. And if I make things happen, I can go from rags to riches. And so you have this kind of swirling around, and then you have the rise of kind of this general idea of, of civil religion, which is connected to a deistic God who's created everything but really doesn't care or isn't really involved in our lives. And then we come to the, the end of the 20th century and first part of the 21st century, and we have Drake, 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 and he's singing songs like, hey, I was at the bottom and now I'm here, right? 
why am I referencing Drake? It's because he instantiates in his song this story of America, and it's all about self-sufficiency. That is not the story of the church, and it's not the story of Christianity. The story of the church begins with who? King Jesus. Jesus came back from the dead. Now, let me just say this really quick. In, in Ephesians 1, uh, it's very clear that you and I, the church, play a passive role in what we call salvation. Uh, we're, we're not the ones in charge, right? Ephesians 1 puts, um, puts uh, a full stop to this fantasy of human sovereignty. You and I are not in charge of salvation. We're not in charge of our lives. What we realize and what we come to realize, Jesus is the one who is in charge. You and I, man, we, we didn't change the world. We didn't start the fire. Sorry, Billy Joel, right? Bad joke? All right. Um, we, we didn't do something to creation itself. Uh, we didn't rise from the dead. We, don't, we have not overseen the complexity of human and world history. We're not in charge or we do not oversee, nor do we run everything from galaxies to governments to presidents to peoples to protons. You and I are not in charge. I didn't, like, make myself up. I'm a redhead, and that's very clear I didn't make myself up. I'm kidding, guys. Don't do that. I love being a redhead, okay? But my life and your life is contingent. You didn't decide what family you're, you're going to be a part of. You didn't decide um, what state you were going to be born in. You didn't decide, okay, this is kind of like my strengths and my weaknesses. No, that was decided for you. It's extrinsic, in other words. And what Paul is saying is the story of, Je is the story of Christianity is the story of Jesus who came back from the dead. He reversed death itself. Thomas, Thomas Jefferson didn't do that. Benjamin Franklin didn't do that. George Washington didn't do that. Muhammad didn't do that. Buddha didn't do that. You didn't do that. I didn't do that. No one in human history has dealt with the fundamental problem of the human heart, and that is radical evil, but one person, and his name is Jesus, and he is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess, come on somebody, that Jesus Christ is the king. Everything is under his loving, sovereign rule. Because of that, we have the church. Because of Jesus and his achievements, all the status, all the beauty, all the justification, all the wisdom, everything you could possibly want is found, Paul is telling us, in him. It's not found in making more money. It's not found in having bigger homes. It's not found in having achievement and status and fame. Our, our significance is inextricably linked to being found in Jesus. So Jesus won the victory over evil. And then Paul says, gives us a definition of what the church is. The church, and this is hard for, for some of us to, to grasp, is the body of Jesus. 
The church is not like coming just simply to a building like this and like singing Hillsong Hop or maybe a little bit Bethel or listen to a guy like using relevant terms and talking about Drake and wearing skinny jeans or whatever. No, church is so much more than singing songs and listening to a, a message that's germane to your life. Can I get an amen to that? Church is much more than just kind of hanging with people afterwards and going to the lobby and high-fiving each other and saying, what are you going to do for, you know, after church? And, oh, I'm going to go to, you know, barbecue. And what are you going to do this week? I'm just going to hang out with the kids and hang out with the family and do something. And those are all great things. But the church is so much more than singing songs and having some fellowship time and maybe potlucking every now and then. Actually, do not potluck. It's a horrible experience. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> Going to restaurants. How many love going to restaurants, hanging with your homies, right? You just love that. Um, church is so much more than that. In fact, it's, it's funny how people think that churches, we reduce church to, and this is what leads to a low view of the church, to, um, well, they better play my songs on Sunday morning, and if they don't play a little bit of Hillsong, or maybe some of you, they don't play enough hymns, or they don't get enough Holy Ghost, if they're not enough Episcopalian, or we need to be more Presbyterian, or we need to be this and this and this, if we reduce church to a style, or a taste, or a worship group, or the, the, the pastor better give me 10 steps on how to live the fulfilled life, and if he doesn't, I'm going to leave church, that's a problem with that. It's a problem. The church is so much more than what we do on a Sunday and even what we do throughout the week. In fact, one, one woman was really disappointed uh, with a, a worship experience, and she went to uh, went in the lobby to talk to the, the lead pastor, and she came to the lead pastor and said, hey, you know what? I was just really disappointed with worship today, and the pastor turned with a smile and said, thank God worship's not about you, right? It's not about you. Not about what we can do, what I can do for you. And I, I want to do my very best to encourage. And I hope you leave encouraged and challenged and stretched when you come to a Sunday morning worship experience. But church is so much more um, than just gathering together. It's so much more than Pastor Ken and Connie 35, over 35 years ago planning this church, coming, moving a young family from Portland and starting a church. God put a dream in their heart in uh, 1983. And uh, they planted this church and we're here today because of their faithfulness. But church is so much more than, than all these little stories. There are thousands of stories of lives being changed here today by what God has done through Jesus and through his people. But the church is way more than that. The church is, please hear me, this is not super profound. It's just, it's powerful. The church is the body of Jesus. We're a, we're a body. Like, this is the primary way that Paul defines the church. We are the body of Jesus. If we don't start with the story of Jesus and then move into the church being a body and not just like a set of songs and some nice messages and a little bit of fellowship time, it will inevitably lead to division and schism and radical individualism. And the result of that, or actually the, the source of that, is a low vision or low view of the church. The church is the body of Jesus. So here's the thing. We can't define ourselves by our activity 
or by our successes or by our failures or by our addictions or by our achievements or by our style, whether we wear skinny or not, whether we wear common projects or not, or we could just go on and on and on. We are not defined by any of that. Our primary definition when it comes to belonging in Christ and being the church, is that we are Christ's body. I know it sounds a little bit weird because, I mean, we didn't come this morning, look around, and go, oh, I see the head, right? Like, it's weird thinking that we're like all different, like, like body parts, right? But what Paul is saying is that we belong, uh, if we belong to Christ, we belong to the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 12 through 13, you could write this down, you don't have to. Uh, Paul writes, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one, everyone say one. There's one body, not 50,000 different bodies. There's one body. So it is with Christ. Verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Our significance, our significance is not, and Frank Damasio mentioned this a couple weeks ago, is not in trying to find ourself. Our significance is rooted in finding a right church. In other words, what he's saying, our significance is learning that we belong in God's family. Our significance is not being important or having achievement or being successful. Our significance is inextricably connected to what we are a part of. And this diversity in unity is a powerful theme that Paul continues to write about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. A body isn't monochromatic, like one shade. It's, a, it's not a single um, blown up uh, body part into something that becomes really huge. Um, if, there, if we just had a gigantic head or an enormous eye, we would not call that a body. Can I get an amen? We would call that a monster. Right, we cannot exist uh, as the church by ourselves. We all have different um, aspects and different responsibilities as we belong to God's body. How many of you think it's good to have some good digestion, right? Uh, hopefully we have a healthy heart. Can I get an amen to that? Um, personally, hopefully our eyes are working and uh, our head is working, right? Uh, we have brain uh, synapses firing. It's important when it comes to your body that everything is doing its part. If you are in Christ, you are part of his body. And that's our primary story. Yes, at times we fail. Yes, we have foibles. Yes, we have issues that we're working out. But the thing that gives shape to our life is that we are connected to King Jesus. Amen. And then Paul turns to Ephesians chapter 2. And he begins in verse 12. He switches from the body, and he's going to continue to talk about the body. He's going to start to work in what the church is as well. It's a family. He says in verse 12, remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body, everyone say one body, to the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Verse 17, and he came and he preached peace to, to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one, everyone say one, There's not five different spirits. There's one spirit to the Father. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five. You're no longer a stranger. Come on, tell them, hey, you're no longer a stranger, an alien, a refugee, an asylum seeker. You are a fellow because of Jesus. You are a fellow citizen with the saints, and I love this, and members of the, so domestic here, but members of the household of God. You belong to God's family, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So here, check this out. Jesus is the great leveler. So belonging, and this is what Paul is saying. He's talking to, to Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And he's essentially saying, hey, you belong and you're part of this family and now you have all the status that you could possibly want. You're not given an inheritance, which basically means when God makes the new heavens and new earth, uh, you have this royal status of ruling it, everything you could possibly want, the blessing that we find in Genesis 12 that flowed through Abraham and flowed through the people of God is now flowing through this Jew plus Gentile new community. It's a new social reality, but it's not based on anyone's achievement. It's not based on the color of your skin. It's not based on ethnicity. It's not based on whether you're advantaged or disadvantaged. It's not based on your family line, your family tree, your genetic makeup, whether you've done well or not well as a human being. It's all based on the achievements of Jesus. Jesus is the great leveler. And he brings all people together. In fact, the church is one big family that is diverse, but it's also one. And then Paul ends in this climactic moment. He's continuing to talk about the church. He writes in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, he says, And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. He's talking now about the church. He's talking about the story of Jesus And then he says in verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom, everyone say the manifold wisdom, manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. How does the church do this? How does God, or maybe a better way of saying it is, how does God, through this body and through this family that's based on grace and based on Jesus, how does God display his wisdom to the world and to the powers? I believe what Paul is saying, and I think this is kind of the logic of Ephesians, it's not what the church does, and I think what the church does is important. It's not what the church says, and I think what the church says and declares is important. 
We're called to speak the truth in love. Can I get an amen? It's not what the church does. It's not what the church says. But it's what the church is that Jesus puts on display the wisdom of God to the powers. How does God speak to the world? It's through what the church is. Not what the church does. It's first through what the church is. You see, to, to, to make that even more clear, we live in a world that's structured around this anti-God um, agenda. And uh, this anti-God agenda always wants to build um, structures or social arrangements around a flat, boring, monochromatic vision of the world. We don't find, and by monochromatic, I mean like one shade, like we all have to be the same, right? That's called forced conformity. What we find in the church is that God brings all sorts of people from different backgrounds, from different psychological, I don't know, states, from different walks of life, brings them together through his grace, and he forms a new community. And when people see that you have Washington Redskins fans hanging with Dallas Cowboy fans, they give glory to God, right? That doesn't happen. What Paul is saying, I mean, this is such a revolutionary text. In the ancient Near East, to have someone who grew up in a Jewish family interact with someone who grew up in a pagan or Gentile family would have been unthinkable. There was a deep antipathy that existed between Jew and Gentile. And what we see is that God and what uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, abolishes that war and that hostility. There's not 13,000 different families now. There's only one family, and Jesus is Lord of that one family, and everyone in that family belongs, and everyone in that family is blessed to be a blessing, and everyone in that family has access to God's presence and power. There is no hierarchical stru structure where you have the haves and the have-nots, the blessed and those who are not blessed in the church. If you are in Christ, through faith, repentance, and baptism, doesn't matter what you did this last week. It's who you are that gives shape to who you are and tells you that you are blessed to be a blessing. It's through this that we demonstrate to the entire world the kingship of Jesus. Now, what we do is important. Can I get an amen to that? What we say is important, but Jesus works within a beautiful diversity that finds itself unified under King Jesus. We're not shaped by tolerance. We're not shaped by a neocon agenda or on the other side of the political continuum, a Western-style progressive way of thinking. We are shaped by King Jesus, his life. We come under him, and when we come under Jesus, you get diversity. When you come under Jesus, you get justice. When you come under Jesus, you get wisdom. When you come under Jesus, you get significance. When you come under Jesus, you get fulfillment. No, you don't believe me? Okay, let me keep on going. When you come under Jesus, you get all the blessing you could ever have. Yeah. 
You see, uh, in, in the New Testament, when it comes to the ethical sayings, like, hey, um, rejoice, or don't do this, or whatever, uh, it, the, the English doesn't have a singular plural. It only has a singular you, unless you live in the South, and you say you all, right? But when you look at Bible translations, many people make the mistake that when they're ethical sayings, hey, you need to do this, or whatever, um, that we're just speaking, or the Bible is just speaking to individuals, and that's not the case. In the original language, every ethical saying is spoken to a collective people. Um, the plural you. You all belong together. It's important that you understand that without you, see, God arranges the family, right? God puts people in different local churches, and we're called to belong to one another. When we come under Jesus, that is realized in our life. When we realize we belong together, not as isolated individuals, that is when we see the full potential of the church released. See, um, I, I, I'm borrowing from Frank Damasio. He said this a couple of weeks ago, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it. Like my wife, um, if she was asked to name 10 things, that are wrong about me, it'd probably take her five seconds to name those things, right? It's easy to talk about bad stuff and the stuff that people do. If we just focus on all the stuff that people do and how they've wronged us, it will always lead to a low view of the church. What's so important today is we gotta understand that we're all a part of the story of Jesus. That some of you probably don't like some people here in this room, and that's all right. God probably doesn't share your opinion about the person you don't like. See, here's the thing. Please exercise some humility. You don't know what someone is going through. It's funny how we give so much grace to ourselves and so much judgment to other people. And when we realize that, or we come to the point that, hey, man, we're all a part of the body. We belong. We're family. This is who we are. We have some, maybe some Republicans here, and we have some Democrats here. That's okay. As long as we come under Jesus, that's the most important thing. We have some dog people here, and we got some cat people here. Ah, let's remove the cat people, but dog people, you can stay. We have a beautiful diversity of people here today. We got to start here. We got to start with the story of Jesus. You lose the story, it always leads to a low view of the church. I think this is why people leave churches. This is why I think people are shopping for churches. Is, is not because they don't have a grievance against a church or maybe something. It's not because they haven't had a legitimate bad experience with the church. Mostly it's they've forgotten who the church is. And so we, we speculate about other people and other churches based on our experience and our opinion and our musings not on what God says we are. You might not think much about yourself today. You might not think much about this church today or just church in general, but God thinks a lot about you and he has a high view of the church, not just this church, but the church. It's his body, come on, and it's his family. And there's not a plan B, and there's not a plan C when it comes to God's plan to reveal his love and his goodness to the world. There's only one plan, and that is his church. 
You see, the United States of America one day will cease to exist, but his body will never cease to exist. So that means over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about messes. We're going to talk about practices. We're going to talk about what the church does. But before we do that, we got it. We got to live the story of the church. We got to know what the church is. As I close, and I want to pray for you guys, uh, my wife and I, we went to um, the biggest mistake of our life. We, uh, yesterday, Saturday, how many of you love Saturdays? Saturday, we went to Costco. I think the devil lives at Costco on Saturdays. So we're taking our kids. It's, it, what was it, like 101? So like it felt like everyone's a little bit grumpy. And I'm not exaggerating. People were like just, it is funny. You go to Costco and everybody has their agenda, right? And it just kind of felt like, you know, there's traffic. And we had a big little cart. Our kids are on it. And we're trying to be, you know, gracious and not try to cut people off. Everyone's cutting us off, you know. I got a, I got a stare from an older gentleman. He had a very pleasant-looking face. Um, but I must have done something or my son did something. And he glared and rolled his eyes at me. And so I, this is what I thought. I work out. You're older than me. I could take you right now. You want to fight. That's what Costco does to you turns you to a monster, right? I wanted to fight an older, nice gentleman because he rolled his eyes at me. But it's funny, I was, I was, just, I, I was just musing, and I was thinking, man, this is like America in microcosm. We're all a bunch of individuals. We're cutting each other off. We don't really care about each other. Uh, we have our agenda. We got to get our food, and we're going to get out. There's a lot of eye roll. There's a lot of, there's really not a lot of solidarity, not a lot of help. That's, honestly, that's our world. That's our political landscape. Everything is polarized right now. Um, as the church, as the family of God, as the body of Christ, we're called to be an alternative city, an alternative world to the world. You see, when we, when we live this story that we basically talked about today, and we, we figure out, and we get into our head, and we meditate on this, and we begin to live it, because it takes time and practice to do this, uh, what the church is, we get that in our heart, and we get that in our head, then that's the when, in, in the words of one scholar, the church can make the church the church. Secondly, when we make the church the church, we make the world the world. These are the words of one great American scholar. What does that mean, Chris? I think it simply means is when we get the story right, everything else falls into place. When we know who we are, in Christ and the story of Jesus and that we belong, everything else flows. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.